So tonight I thought I would begin. I, last night I, I wrote you a poem uh, in lieu of appearing uh, for uh, this grand, grand uh, meeting here this evening. Uh, and one of the things, it goes back, I was thinking, oh, it's been 43 years or something like that now that uh, Manindra, uh, my first Vipassana teacher, he used to uh, say, you know, it's not, there's, there was usually just a few of us in the room, maybe six or so, and he said, oh, there's so many here this evening, you know. And he had to clarify and say, oh, there's those that can be seen, but there's those that cannot be seen, the unseen uh, that are present, uh, who come uh, to hear and be uh, with the Dharma. So uh, even though we may be few in number uh, from the visible, uh, may, we may be grand in the invisible. So uh, first of all, it's just a privilege to uh, uh, drop into the middle of this uh, place. Uh, it really, this you know, I could one. Part of me gets out, this, this is a bardo in between things. Another one, no, this is the stillness. Uh, this is the stillness that you also have to offer uh, to those who are coming. So, my poem last night is, I was sitting in there and the snow was just beginning to fall where I live up in the uh, see our foothills going, hmm, am I going to get here? <laughs> it starts. Sitting on the edge of the world. Dropping in. Smack. Into the middle of your world. The silence crackling through my bloodstream. Oh, I can guess. You came to set something free. But once again, nothing but change. New teachers, new faces. The boat you so carefully steadied rocked. Knowing this feeling of empty seats with those familiar socks and shawls vanishing into the rain and fog. You know, the one who pretended to have it all together feeling again the loneliness of those who bowed and walked away, openly aware of those still here, all who hold you now. How still can I be in this stilled world? How still can I be in this still world?
Is it holding the old stories? Being battered and beaten? Or is it the lightness of being which radiates in the 10,000 directions? We who have arrived can only bow down to your truth. We who have arrived can only bow down to your truth. But the height of the mountain that calls us all stretches out before us as our common destination. But the height of the mountain that calls us all stretches out before us as our common destination. So I thought I'd just uh, tell a story to start with. Uh, Oh, not so long ago, maybe four or five years ago, I was sitting up in, uh, this is in Ladakh, India, northern India, and up about, oh, 12,000 feet or so, and uh, I had a kind of little, what they call puk in Tibetan practice, kind of cave practice, and it had a little door and a window, and and uh, I picked this particular one because uh, you could open the little window there, very small, and it looked out upon this white-capped mountain uh, in the distance. And I chose a little area to do my walking, that when I would turn around, every time I could look up and see in the far distance uh, this Himalayan peak, uh, snow-covered and seeing the kind of the face of the glacier of it. And uh, it uh, kept me centered and somehow inspired, which is what we're doing here, somewhat centered and inspired. A few days before I went into retreat, uh, there was a Sri Lankan nun. And, uh, oh, it wasn't a football field away, but far around this mountain uh, were these different kind of retreats hut that had been used for centuries, uh, where there were more caves that had been built over. Um, and she was on the way far side, and there really wasn't anything to look at, you know. So I knew she was there. And somehow, uh, even though I didn't know her, I never spoke to her, uh, there was a solace in the fact that she was there, the only other person on this mountain uh, that was sitting And uh, I would go down to breakfast, I'd go to lunch, and uh, I would sort of glimpse out of the side of my eye. Once in a while I would see her, but I paid no attention. It was just uh, someone who was there practicing. About three weeks in or so of the retreat, one day she was gone. Of course, 
being in silence, we don't know who they are or what their story is or, you know, anything. Just like those who were filling this hall recently. And I remember uh, that my realization or awareness that she was gone. And suddenly that old feeling, that sense of abandonment, like how could she leave? You know, that was not possible. You know, it was all part of this gestalt of this uh, community, which was only one, but directed, you know. How could they leave you here? You know. And yet, this is how it works. You know. How it always will work. You know, on some level. But there's also the fact that we have to acknowledge, you know, for those empty zabutans that are around you. You know. Um, I always have this sense of, you know, uh, if there's just one other person, even though they're far away, that's practicing, that there is some connection there. Something, you know, the heart is not something just beating in this heart. Uh, This heart beats in your heart. And we are all connected uh, somehow through that. Uh, This process that we know is a temporal thing called living. So there has to be some acknowledgement that that is something that has happened. So it rocks a little. But then there is this incredible opportunity. You know, where the heart of stillness that's been cultivated for this last month uh, is actually in its uh, stable place. And you have always been sitting ultimately there in your place. Oh, you make up all these stories, I know. And the stories can be endless. You can keep manufacturing more stories. You know, about their socks or their shawls or who they might be or may not be. But my suggestion is uh, simply to feel that there is loss and there is gain. 
And the awareness of the losses has to be there to also recognize the gain. And the gain has to do with this stillness. This truth of a silent community that is looking towards that mountain. It was interesting, I just, uh, last couple of weeks, returned from India uh, leading a pilgrimage in the footsteps of the Buddha. And some amazing things about that Bodhi tree, that bow tree, that people tree, that, uh, what is it, the family of the fig, tree. A couple things I learned this time that amazed me. You know, I've been, in essence, kind of touching that tree for all these years. And I go back again and I touch that tree and somehow I always thought, well, you know, Buddhism has sort of left India. And uh, the tree was, uh, a, a cutting was taken down to Sri Lanka. And then some centuries ago, it was brought back. It's now into this enormous tree, enormous Bodhi tree. And I come to find out it's the same tree. You know, it... it Genetically, is the same tree that 2,555 years ago the Buddha sat under. Amazing, you know. And that its nature as a tree is that uh, it never, it has leaves and doesn't seem to be different year after year. But what I found out was it flowers from within. It flowers from within. And I realized how perfect. Uh, Here is something that exemplifies our practice. That somehow we flower from within. I question my sanity uh, going back. You know, I've spent probably, uh, I think, of 10 years in Asia. And um, to, to the madness uh, of what exists there. And I realize part of uh, my process is that I have learned to create such an incredible amount of confidence in what you're doing. It's actually, I have impeccable confidence uh, in these teachings and this practice and how it works as a means 
in my own experience uh, of it over and over again has given me a sense of that uh, as a creature I'm self-limiting. I make myself small. But what the practice has done is giving me faith in that there's something bigger going on here. Much bigger than the small thoughts that kind of keep me self-identified and spinning around over and over again, telling sometimes the same stories over and over, thinking somehow that their stories will be different or I'll be different because I keep telling them. And I have faith that somehow that when we begin to not just tell the stories, but we actually uh, feel them through and through, you know, it's no longer the situation or the names and places and things, but that little bit of wanting it to be somehow resolved or different or better or my way. That somehow this practice gives us that ability to soften, to open, to let it go somehow. It loses its strength or its reality or its basis in some way. And so I have these two pieces. I see, oh, I have a tremendous amount of confidence that this stuff, you know, and the Buddha really was very clear and precise of how it works. And then I've learned to have some faith that what I don't know is about something that is much bigger than I can imagine. So that I'm okay with. Those two pieces. But there's a third piece there. And it was one of the things that, again, going back, uh, moves my heart. And it's a word that we don't particularly use here, or it's not part of our collective so much, and it's a word called devotion. You know, I don't have much of that. Unfortunately, it I come from kind of a classical Western, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, I guess, a recovering skeptic or something, you know. But what's also true is when I go there and I see how moved people are uh, by their confidence and faith, and maybe what happened 2,500 years ago, or actually these places where things happened uh, long, long ago. And you can feel and see that somehow 
they know it's bigger. They're not just confident and have faith in how it works. But there's some part of the heart that lets all of it settle. You know. So I get a little piece of that. A little piece, a little teeny piece of that. You know, I see the Tibetans in this tree and I see them doing these full prostrations over and over and over, you know. And there are hours and hours of praying and their physical acts of devotion and surrender. And I hope sometimes a little of it's catching. You know. So I hope but there's a little piece in this I'm saying tonight that somehow, you know, that in this opportunity of both, you know, it's sort of like loss and gain at the same time. One is the emptiness of those who have kind of gone and the gain is this stillness and time you have uh, to simply be uh, with an opportunity uh, to untangle maybe a demon or to recognize the infinite amount of stars that are beyond our imagination. That many. So, I just want to give you a little inspiration tonight. So I would like to read my poem again and um, leave you to your stillness. Sitting. Sitting on the edge of the world. Dropping in smack into the middle of your world. The silence crackling through my bloodstream. Oh, I can guess. You came to set something free. But once again, nothing but change. New teachers, new faces. The boat you so carefully steadied rocked. Knowing this feeling of empty seats with familiar socks and shawls vanishing into the rain and fog. You know, the one who pretended to have it all together. 
feeling again the loneliness of those who bowed and walked away openly aware of those still here all who hold you now how still can you be in this stilled world how still can you be in this still world it is holding the old stories being battered and beaten or is it the lightness of your being radiating in 10,000 directions we who have arrived can only bow down to your truth we who have arrived can only bow down to your truth but the height of the mountain that calls us all stretches out before us as our common destination. So just take a few moments to feel your heart Feel all the hearts in this room, all those before us, all those coming. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.